So that's where we'll be today. We'll be in Ephesians 4. We're going to continue to plug along through your Ephesians series. That's what your pastors and elders uh, encouraged me to do. And so uh, I was thankful for it and thankful for the opportunity to uh, come and uh, express what God has to say through this book today. And so I would love to pray. If you wouldn't mind joining me in praying and pleading out to our God that we would hear from him today. Okay, so let me pray and do that. Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. I thank you for the promise from your son that you want to sanctify us in truth and your word is truth. And so where we can experience reality, where we can experience the presence of God, where we can see the world for what it truly is, is in your holy word. That you have not left us without a witness, you have not left us without an understanding of the world through your word. But most importantly, you've helped us understand your word better through your gospel. And your gospel is about your son. It is about Jesus Christ. And so may our affections be renewed, restored. Maybe somebody for the first time today will see Jesus in a new light and treasure him and say, that's what I've been looking for. That's what I always wanted. I pray that we would all have renewed affections for Christ today, who is your truth, who has revealed your truth perfectly through uh, your word, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ruling and reigning on the throne today. And it's in his name that I pray, Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, uh, we're going to be talking about truth today. Uh, We're going to be exploring that a little bit. And uh, I want it to open up with just some honesty with you, okay? Uh, I want to be truthful. I want to model truth and hopefully humility to confess some of my own problems and my own insecurities here and, and be honest and truthful with you. And that is, okay, I'm a married man. Uh, my wife's name is Amy. She could not be here today because really she just wanted our kids to play with their friends at church. So uh, that's why they're not here. <laughs> so that's me being truthful with you. Uh, but what I want to confess is that uh, being a married man, you married men in the audience know this, that sometimes when you're in marriage, there's things that you have to kind of adopt and kind of take on uh, that you may not really like, uh, but you, your, your bride loves them and treasures them. And so you, you love and treasure her. And so you want to help and treasure the things that she uh, treasures. And so one of the things that my wife loves is she kind of loves these like teeny bopper like novels, uh, these like uh, Hunger Games and Divergent, uh, you know, series. And so I end up having to watch these movies uh, with her. I have to watch the Hunger Games. I have to watch Divergent uh, and all of these little, uh, you know, teeny bopper uh, girl movies. Uh, and so I'm going to confess to you today that there's actually one that I kind of like, which is called Divergent. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I know that's bad. I know it's like taking points off my man card and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, that's okay. I know Matt, like if he listens to this sermon later, he's going to be like, dude, you and that Mazda and that like blurple car, you're just Metro and you know, you're just too urban for me, man. Like you can't, you can't get up and talk to my people about liking Divergent. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm confessing it to you because I want to be truthful. Uh, and so let me kind of flesh out for you what, what happens here in Divergent because I think there's some things in Divergent that are going to help us understand Ephesians 4.25, okay? Um, and so in Divergent, you have uh, basically, it's this kind of post-apocalyptic culture 
uh, where all these people are kind of fighting for life and, and preserve, you know, humanity and different things like that. And there's these five factions, okay, in inner city Chicago. Like, Chicago is kind of falling apart. The world is falling apart. And they're behind these walls in inner city Chicago. And there's these five factions, okay? And these teenagers will kind of go through this identity phase where they're raised in one of these five factions at, with their family. But they have, to, they have to take this test and find out, uh, you know, what, what do they like? Uh, you know, like what, what, are the, what faction would they want to be a part of kind of instinctually and naturally? And then they have to make this tension. Do I want to go with over there with those people and start to do life with them? Or am I going to stay with my family? Uh, and so it's this really, you know, kind of awkward transition for them that they're trying to work through their identity, but also kind of, you know, say, I, I don't want to leave my family. I love them very dearly. And so the most prominent character is uh, she ha- she's a divergent because she has, like, propensities to more than one faction. Uh, and so she's just, like, got the gifts. Like, the five factions are, like, truth and courageousness and peace and uh, a bunch of others that I don't remember, okay? Uh, but, uh, you know, so she's going through this dilemma because she doesn't know what to do, that she's got this, she's a divergent, she's, she's got uh, more propensities to a lot of the factions, and she doesn't know what to do because this is kind of like illegal, you know, like you're not allowed to have more than one propensity to a faction. Uh, and so she's trying to kind of hide it a little bit, and it, it creates all this tension in her family and eventually in the, like the whole city. Uh, and so I think the theme, there's a lot of themes that you can pick up in Divergent that I think are really good. Um, I was surprised to read, I was doing some research on it this week, that the girl uh, who wrote the series might be a believer. Don't know for sure, but that was kind of cool to see. So she's actually working on some Christian themes that she saw growing up and trying to implement those uh, into her novels. Uh, and one of the themes that I think you can see kind of growing up here, uh, or you know, if you were to, to be in this you know, fantasy world, <laughs> uh, is... You can have a danger of going to an extreme on any kind of personality type or any kind of view of truth or reality, right? And so I want to protect us from that today, okay? That's the whole reason for this opening illustration is I don't want us to say, oh, well, I'm just the truth person or I'm just the courageous person or I'm the person that makes peace, uh, okay? Uh, If you go into these extremes, sometimes you can have people that were like, well, I'm just being honest with you and you're really just a jerk. Um, you know, and, and you, you, yeah, you are being truthful, but you're just such a jerk about it that you don't care about peace, you don't care about unity, you don't, you know, care about these things. Uh, and so I want to protect us from that, because we're going to talk a lot about truth today, and I don't want us to get into, like, the, the candor camp. That was what the truth camp was called, uh, was that they're just honest about everything, you know, and they just said, well, I'm telling you the truth, you know, and uh, one of the girls who it grew up in the truth camp makes her way into the courageous camp, and they're like, basically, they're, that's like the soldier camp, and they're like, we well, need to learn to keep your mouth shut, okay? Otherwise, you're going to get beat up if you, uh, if you keep saying all these truthful statements. So I want us to ex- ex- avoid that extreme. Okay, so that's like my goal today is to help us avoid that extreme, to help flesh out what does what God's word have to say about truth, about humility? How do we marry these things together? How do we, we don't want to be a false people or a lying people. Uh, so how do we work these things out a little bit? And so if I had one major idea that I want you to leave with today, it's this, that As a gospel community, you guys are a gospel community. I'm a part of a gospel community. We pursue unity through truth, okay? And we want to use our truth as a way of uniting us together, not tearing us apart, okay? That's the way that I I think as a gospel community, and renovation is a gospel community, you want to unify together through truth. And what we're going to see here as we kind of explore Ephesians 4.25 is that 
Paul has just come out of a section of what it looks like in your new life in Jesus. Okay, and if you look with me in verse 24, he says this, and put on, okay, to put on the new self. And then he uses this, taking you all the way back to Genesis language, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what Paul's doing here is he's kind of reinforcing, reestablishing, renovating, okay, let me use your language here, your life, okay? He's making you, he's saying you're something new now, okay? You're a new creation, that you are made in the likeness of God and you've been remade into the likeness of God. We know from Genesis that every person is made in the image of God, right? But not everybody lives for God's glory, do they? And so Paul's saying, that's not you anymore. You're not those wicked people that were made in the image of God and have rejected God and have turned your backs on God. No, you're now a new people. You're a new creation that God is making you into the likeness of himself in true righteousness and true holiness, that you're taking on attributes of God. God is righteous. God is holy. And you are to be his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his, you know, holy nation, right? You are to be holy, to be set apart. You are to be righteous. And so that's what I want us to see, that that's the section we're in. That's what starting here in verse 25, is he's going to start just giving you some real good pragmatics. He's going to say, this is what new life looks like. Okay, if you're a new creation, this is what your life now looks like. And so the first kind of sub point I want to look at here, I take from Ephesians 4.25, the first part of it, it says, therefore, having, putting away, have put, having put away falsehood. And what we want to see here in this phrase is that falsehood is an old nature attribute. Okay, that's your sub point number one. All right. Falsehood is an old nature attribute. This is putting, this is who you once were. This is not who you are anymore. Okay. Um, So if you've been brought into Christ, then you have put away. And I love this put away language. It's, it's, it's clothing language for you ladies in the room. Like you really like to go shopping, right? Okay. Uh, you know, or maybe some of you men too. I don't know. Um, so uh, maybe you like to go shopping for, for clothes and look nice and things, things like that. That's okay. There's actually some guys in my church that do like to do that. So um, um, anyway, so this put away language, okay, just like in verse 24, put on the new self, verse 22, put off the old self, right, is clothing language. That's what it was in the original Greek, is that literally when you would get baptized in the early church, you would go into the water, okay? They'd dunk you under, and then when you come out, they'd hand you a new set of clothes (laughs) to symbolize, like, you're a different person now. You're a different person. Now, we don't plan that anymore, but we still kind of do it, don't we, right? You know? As we dunk them under, and then they're like drenched. We're like, "Hey, go put some different clothes on," <laughs> you know. So, like, you know, we got to dry, dry ourselves off, and put some new clothes on. Like, so the symbol's still there, um, but we don't do it as intentionally. Um, so, this putting away falsehood is a way of saying, like, that's not your clothes anymore. That's not what you wear. You don't wear falsehood anymore. That this is. Not possible. This putting away is not possible with it, that Paul's making a theological assumption with this language, right? Because he has the therefore, and you've all heard this phrase, but therefore, what's it there for, right? Uh, so that, that was me going back to verse 24, okay? That you're this new creation. That's, that's what it's there for. So if you're this new creation created in the likeness of God, then this is not who you are. This, you put this away, okay? Now, 
Paul's theological assumption is, is that you have been what? Born again. That you're being remade into the likeness of God. So if you're in this room and you have not been born again, you do not love and treasure Jesus for your salvation, for your life, for everything. If that's not your aim, if that's not what you're striving toward, then this won't work for you. You cannot put away falsehood. You can't do it. It's not possible for you. Now, I'm going to hopefully prove that later. I'm not going to go after that right now. It's going to be later in this sermon, but when we flesh out what truth is a little bit more. But you cannot put away falsehood if you are not a born-again Christian. You can't do it. It's not possible. So that is Paul's theological assumption is that you have new life in Jesus, that you have been, your heart has been regenerated. You've been given a new heart. You've been given new affections. And God is remaking you to be conformed into the likeness of his son. So you cannot do this unless you have been born again. And if you have not, there are tons of saints here who would love to walk you through that process. It would be their joy and their pleasure too. They would be happy to say, hey, let's work through that together. So please seek them out. You can come and seek me and then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn you to the saints here. (laughs) So, falsehood. Let's, let's define this a little bit. Let's define falsehood, okay? Because I, I was doing some research on this this, this week, and I, I want to explore it a little further. In its most simplest terms, falsehood means lying. That's what it means. It means lying, <laughs> okay? Now, some of you in this room would be like, shoot, whew, well, I'm good, because I am a truthful person. I give it to people straight. I don't lie. I don't false, I don't deceive people. I'm just right there. So I'm good. Well, I want to explore this a little further with you. I want to go a little deeper into what the Bible has to say about falsehood. And number one, when you explore this term falsehood a little bit deeper in the Greek, when you get into there and you navigate it, and look, I'm no Greek scholar, okay? I have to go read commentaries and like help, I have to have people help me. I have to read the same paragraph like five times, okay? I'm not even as gifted as your pastor is, okay? So like you're dealing with a dummy up here. So this is something that you guys can do too, okay? Um, so you're probably all much smarter than I am. All right, so when I dug into this, this is what I learned, okay? That this lying, this false definition is a deep desire, a deep desire in you to deceive or mislead others. So it's not just about Lying, it's about the intention behind your lying. Okay? It's you are intending to deceive, manipulate, mislead people. This is falsehood. Okay? And so this is what Paul is talking about here. When he's saying, when you put this away, you're not intentionally setting out to deceive people anymore. To mislead them. You see, this is important because not all lying is intended to harm, is it? Right? Let me give you a real life example, okay? Where I, I'll, I'll show this to you. Right? I lied to my wife before I proposed to her. I did. Do I feel guilty about it? No! She had to work. She was, she's a nurse, okay? If any of you know me, my wife used to be a nurse, all right? She used to work these like 7p to 7 a.m. shifts. And I had this extravagant p- a proposal planned, okay? 
where we were going to get up at like 7 in the morning. She was going to go do this like picture scavenger hunt. Then we were going to fly to Dallas where I told her that I first liked her and we were going get, to you know, get there and I was going to get down on one knee and propose and you know, at the same spot where I told her I first liked her and all these different things. I mean, this was an elaborate scheme, right? Guess what? She's scheduled to work the night before. So I tell her, I say, hey, look, uh, sweetie, uh, I got some friends flying in from town uh, that want to have dinner with us. I haven't seen them since college, right? And she's just like, oh, okay. Um, I say, so you need to get off work, right? And I call over to work, and I tell them, like, hey, this is what's really going on, so please make sure she gets off. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and boom. Now, do you think when we got to the proposal, in fact, she still didn't even know what was going on until we we got to the airport. She thought, like, my friends were still coming in town. She didn't know we were, like, when I met her there at the airport, she thought, she was like, oh, your friends are coming in town. I guess they're a part of, like, this thing. And I was like, no, we're flying to Dallas. And she was like, what? (laughs) Do you think she was just like, now, wait a minute. He lied to me. This this was malicious. (laughs) This was unkind. You know, no, she understood like it wasn't meant to deceive her or to mislead her or, or, or to manipulate her. It was, it was not rooted in this deep desire to, you know, get her to do something bad. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's not falsehood according to the Bible. Now, it, okay, so now you don't, you, some of you are still questioning my example. They're like, I don't know if you should have done that, right? Well, let's just go into the Bible and let's look at this, Okay. Not all lying is intended to harm, okay? Have you read the story in the book of Exodus about the midwives? Okay? The midwives, all right? Here they are. They're told by Pharaoh, murder all the babies that are two years old and under. And what do they do when they go to report to the Pharaoh on why they didn't do it? Well, the midwives, they're just like, or the Israelite wives, they're like, like we just can't keep up with them. They're just like too rowdy, you know? Like we couldn't. They lie, (laughs) okay? They lie to Pharaoh. And what does God do? He blesses them. He gets them children. Right? You look at Rahab. Rahab, right? The spies go into the promised land, okay? They're about to kill these spies, the people of the promised land, okay? Rahab hides them out. She's a prostitute. She's got them hidden somewhere. They come knocking on the door. Hey, Rahab. Where are those spies? We know they're here. We heard a rumor that they're in your house. What does she do? They're not here. You go over to the book of James, it says what she did is righteous. (laughs) So you see, it's not that simple, guys. Now, some of you are already tempted to be like, yeah, I can go out and lie. (laughs) No! (laughs) This This is, if you are intending to go out to deceive or mislead, See, this is about heart intention. What are you intending to do here? Are you looking to try to get your way? Are you looking to bring disunity? Are you not looking to glorify God in what you're trying to do? See, that's falsehood. That's lying biblically. So we want to be real careful here. This is, this, this is not a simple answer. Okay? And I want to encourage you to dig deeper into God's word to really figure out what does lying mean. See, when you go back and you read the Ten Commandments, every one of those, see, one of those is, is thou shalt not murder, right? See, what have we always been trained to believe it is? Thou shalt not kill. See, there's a difference between murder and killing. See, I don't want to pastor some of my soldiers in my church to think that what they're doing is wrong. 
and that their consciences can't be clean before God. See, they're not to murder. They're not to waste human life and to make light of it. That if they're going to take someone's life, that's a big deal. I mean, I was actually working through with your pastor on whether or not I should buy a firearm. I I live in the city. I've got little kids. I mean, it it literally was stressing me out one day when, you know, I I, I moved into a new neighborhood and there was Confederate flags flying up all over the place. I'm biracial. I have children who are, my, my daughter's hair is super curly. I started imagining, like, what it would look like if some knucklehead comes down to my house while I'm gone and my kids are playing in the yard. What am I gonna do? But I'm not, I'm not looking to take someone's life just be, you know, because like, oh, well, this knucklehead, I'm just going to kill him. No, this is a big deal. <laughs> These are weighty issues, friends. We need to search God's word diligently and find out what we're supposed to do. So now that we've kind of explored a little bit, <laughs> if in some senses I've probably confused you more than given you clarity. <laughs> and re- I'm doing that intentionally. I want you to go look it up. You've got to work through these conclusions on your own. I can't give you all the, I can't give, give it, go into like uh, all the different views. What are the different views on ethics and Bible? I, I don't remember. Anyway, I, I don't remember. Uh, so, oh, law of non-contradiction, co- contradiction, yeah, yeah, th- those things. Okay, graded absolutism, conflicting absolutism, non-conflicting absolutism. That's the three major views, so go look those up. All right, there you go. All right, not going to do the research for you. You can't be lazy Christians, okay? All right, so. Uh, so that was graded absolutism, non-conflicting absolutism, conflicting absolutism. There you go. All right. So where does biblical falsehood now come from? Where does biblical falsehood come from? All right. Two main sources here. And then one of them is the most prominent one. All right. Number one, biblical falsehood comes from, because biblical falsehood, right, is what? Lying. So who is the father of lies? Satan, the devil. Okay. John 8, says this. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. For he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, if we are a lying people, if we are a false people, if we are a people of falsehood, then we have a father. Everyone has a father. It's just whether or not it's the heavenly father or it is the devil. See, he is the father of lies. He is seeking to harm, to manipulate, to deceive, to mislead, so that it will lead to your death. He wants to hurt you. Okay? There is a real being out there who he he has an, an entire army called demons. And they want to harm you. And they want to deceive you and mislead you to death. They want you to be in isolation for the rest of your life. They want you to be separated from God like they are. They want to bring everybody down with them. But guess what? That's not the prominent one. That's not the prominent place where falsehood comes from. Do you know where the prominent place of falsehood comes from? Our own desires. Our own wicked, evil desires. You can go back to the garden. The serpent was there to deceive the woman, right? But go back and look at the language. She saw that it was desirable to the eye and was pleasing to make one wise. 
You see, that desire language is in there. That he just played on what was already in her. Sin. Selfishness. Wickedness. And that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. We all are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. That desire for wickedness, misleading, deceiving is in every one of us. I don't teach my children how to lie. (laughs) They just do it. They want to mislead and deceive me at times. It's in them. Where do I get this from? You, You can see this in Ephesians. Go back to verse 22. Chapter 4, verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through what? Deceitful desires. Boom, right there. It's right there in verse 22. This new life that we're to put off the old self because it belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Now let's go back even further into Ephesians chapter 2. Okay? Okay? You're going to see this marrying of the father of lies and our own lies, our own deceitful desires. Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You once walked, not the devil once walked. You once following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Here we go. See, that, that could very well be, right? This air, this aroma in our world where the devil has influence. Okay? So you fall in the principle of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's you and me outside of Christ, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who we once were. See, to put away falsehood, you have to be willing to say, that is who I was. And if outside of the grace of God, that is who I will still be. If I am not careful here, if I do not tread lightly, if I do not look into God's word to let it shape me and mold me. When you go back to the book of Romans, we see that we see Paul's descriptions of Gentiles is that they exchange the truth of God for what? A lie. And that's Paul's assessment of the entire world. (laughs) That's you and me. It's not just the people outside of this building. It's not the little ones just in these rooms. It is you and me outside of the grace of God. We are deceitful people. If you do not think that you have any propensity to deception, you don't know yourself very well. Let me be truthful with you. Let me be candid, right? You don't know yourself very well if you don't see any temptation in your heart to deceive. Everybody in this room, including myself, has temptations to deceive and mislead people. We are very, very wicked, deep down to our bones. Now, let me not leave you without hope, though. Okay, we've 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 done enough exploration on falsehood. Let's let's move on to truth. Let's get back to our text here. Therefore, having put it away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So you can see this comparison contrast. This is something that Paul's going to do in this section 
is he's going to give you like a negative response and then give you a positive one, okay? Uh, he's using a linguistic device here to try to get his point across. He does it in verse 25, verse 28, uh, 30, you know, um, and etc. okay? So, um, so, put away falsehood. Let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So, let's define truth. We define falsehood a little bit, right? I gave you some assignment to go look up further <laughs> on that, all right? But let's now define truth. And simply put, I, I, truth is like, a, in some sense, a little easier to define, okay? Uh, just like evil can be hard to define. Um, I like Augustine's description, though, of evil. It's just the absence of good, right? It's the deprivation of good, all right? So falsehood line would be the deprivation or absence of truth, okay? Uh, so truth, in a sense, okay, uh, at the most simplest terms, is it's, it's reality. It's what's real, okay? That's what truth is, I think, biblically. It is reality. It is what's real. And I think any culture, this is so ingrained in us to desire truth, to want truth, that you don't go to, I mean, C.S. Lewis argues this in Mere Christianity, you don't go to any culture and people, like, are really, like, cheering for a traitor. You know, they're like, yay, you deceived us and you misled us. Awesome, thank you. Woo! No, we want reality. We want the truth. Okay? We don't like politicians who are deceiving us. We don't like friends who are deceiving us. Um, we don't like spouses who are deceiving us. Like, we, we want to live in truthful relationships, real relationships, reality. But truth requires revelation. Okay? To understand truth, it requires revelation. Okay, the most simplest way to understand this, okay? My little, I, I have three children. My youngest is going to be one in the next 13 days, okay? So my little youngest, she's going to be one in the next 13 days. She did not plop out of the womb. Damaris is her name. I go, she goes by Maris, okay? Maris did not plop out of the womb saying, Dad! I'm ready to fix your carburetor. I'm good. Put me to work. I just know it instinctively. I know how to fix your carburetor. No. That is going to require what? Revelation. She's going to need to know what a carburetor is. First, she's probably going to need to know how to talk and how to walk and move her hands. You know, because they come out all creepy, like, you know, right? I mean, come on, guys. I mean, let's, I don't like touching them for like the first nine months. So they're, they, they wig me out, you know? So, but like, like they got to get some things down. Some revelation is needed for them to get there. Truth revealed over time. Progressive revelation, okay? To understand how to fix the carburetor, to understand a black hole. Let's get real deep here, right? To understand singularity, you need revelation, I don't know how to understand singularity, do you? I mean, some of you maybe are, like I said, probably much smarter than I am. You understand the depths of a black hole. You understand singularity. You could tell me exactly what it is, and I'd be like, huh? I don't understand it. I was watching, uh, what was that movie the other day? Uh, the, uh, Interstellar, yes. And they start talking about singularity, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, man, Christopher Nolan, you are just too much for me, dude. Like Inception, like Interstellar, like, dude, you got to chill out. Uh, <laughs> so requires revelation. 
okay? We don't just come out knowing how the world works. It takes time. It takes seasoning. But that's, we, we want to know reality. We want to know our world better. We want to know ourselves better. But there's this thing getting in the way, isn't there? What's it called? Sin. Sin. You see, it taints everything that we look at. And this is why I'm saying, if, if you don't see yourself as a deceptive person, you don't really, really get how totally depraved you are. How tainted by sin you are. Because tin, sin, <laughs> not tin, sin taints everything you look at in the world, even yourself. And so you can manipulate and deceive and mislead yourself to think you're completely in the right. I mean, is that, am I the only one in the room that's ever happened to before where I just think I was completely right? And the next thing I know, like three years later, maybe three minutes later, I'm like, oh my goodness, I was completely wrong. I mean, that's how deep my sin is, is I can mislead and deceive myself to think I'm in the truth, I'm in reality, when I'm not. I'm not in the real world. I'm living in fantasy land. Counsel, biblical counselors call this escapism, <laughs> where you escape into this false reality. And it's why I think so many men are struggling with porn addictions. They want to go into fantasy land. Or we see so many young people today going into these online gaming spheres. They, they want to live in fantasy land. These TV reality shows that are what? Fantasy land. They're not the real world. When you see, this is so prevalent in our culture today. And to think that we're not influenced by it, then, friend, I don't know what world you live in. This is all over. Example of this would be Pontius Pilate, right? I was reading that in the Gospel of John today, and he's having this discussion with Jesus about truth. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, all who love the truth know who I am. And then what do, what is, how does Pontius Pilate respond to Jesus? What does he say? What is truth? And then he walks away and goes back to fantasy land. I mean, I remember listening to Ravi Zacharias in college, and he said, here is the truth standing there right in front of him, and he walks away. And before we pick on Pontius, that's us, friends. <laughs> truth is right there in front of us. God has given it to us, revelation, and we just turn our backs on it. Because Jesus says, right, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm reality. I am the real world. I remember my hermeneutics professor talking about that in seminary. He said, you want to read reality? You want to get to know the real world? Read the Bible. It's the real world. And if you really want to get it, know Jesus. I mean, can you just imagine here? Like, let's just imagine for a second, okay? Jesus walked on water. Guess what that is? Reality. See, our imaginations are too weak. We think about walking on water. It's like only something Jesus can do. Was there another person in the story who walked on water? Peter. And what's the reason he starts sinking? Jesus says, your faith's too weak. 
We don't even know our potential yet. Read Randy Alcorn's book on heaven and just imagine what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be awesome when we're not constrained by sin. And we can explore the depths of space and the worlds beyond our world. Star Trek has nothing on what we're going to see when we get to heaven. For those of you who've wanted that, that dream about that stuff, that you dream about interstellar, it's going to happen. It's going to be awesome. And so the revelation, the Bible solves the problem. We need divine revelation to understand the world. And so if you want to speak truth to people, okay, if you want to live out this, if you want to put away falsehood and you want to speak truth to your neighbor, What's the conclusion here? Speak the Bible. (laughs) Guys, this is not complicated. (laughs) You want to speak truth to people, you speak the Bible. I'm not saying that everything that comes out of your mouth is a Bible verse. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you got to be a bunch of Bible thumpers and just, you know, walk around your Bible and be like, well, where do you see that in here? You know, that's, that's not what I'm saying. You've got to be so enriched in reality in the Bible that it just comes out of you. It's like a sweet aroma. You just, you put the deodorant on, you take the shower in the Bible, you, 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 the Bible's your deodorant, it's your cologne, it's your perfume, it, it's everything that you do to look good. It's your mirror, according to James. You look into it, you see what you're supposed to look like. And then it just permeates. It looks nice. And people want to be around it. Those who love truth will love you like they love Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be. Let me give you an example of how this happens in our text. This phrase, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, is actually a quote from an Old Testament text. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Just looked it up this week. Okay, so I'm not some super scholar. It's not like I just got the Bible memorized in my head. I'm like, oh, that's a quote from Zechariah 8. No, I looked it up. And all the commentary said, hey, this is a quote probably from Zechariah 8, 16. And when you go back and you read all of that, it's all this description about what the end times will look like. The new Jerusalem, the people of Zion. Zion theology in the, in the book of the Twelve, the minor prophets. And, and, and what you see here is that, that this is a quote. So there was debate among the scholars. They said, okay, well, is this, did Paul quote this directly to a bunch of Gentiles who wouldn't really be familiar with the Old Testament? Or... Y- y- or, you know, is this kind of like an accident? You know, like, what, what, what happened here? It's real simple. This dude is soaked in the Bible. It just comes out. That's what it is. <laughs> Paul's writing along. He's writing his thing, and he's just like, Doo-doo-doo-doo. and he puts this quote from, my, from Zechariah 8 in there. Does he say, like, oh, and this is from Zechariah 8, or like the prophets have said? No, it just comes out of him. He's so soaked in the Bible, he just, it just comes out. He says, this has been fulfilled. Like, like do this. <laughs> We're living in this time now. We live in the end times now. You should be speaking the truth with your neighbor. 
See, Jesus goes on to say in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You want to speak truth to people, you speak the Bible, you speak the word. You want to sanctify people, you want to see them more into the likeness of Christ, and you, you speak God's word. Paul says to us in 2 Timothy 2.15 that you are to teach the word faithfully so that you won't be ashamed. Shame that you'll experience freedom when you speak the Bible to your neighbor. When you speak truth, God's truth, revelation to people. Now let's, let's pull this all together here. Let's pull this all together. So first we got the old nature, right? There in therefore having put away falsehood. That was the old nature. The falsehood is an old nature attribute. Ephesians 2, 25. Second part here is the truth is a new nature attribute. Right? Each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's a new nature attribute. Okay? So born again. Have to put away that, put this on, right? So I w- this was the old dying man. This is the new man who's moving toward life and holiness and godliness, okay? So how do we wrap all this together? How do we put the bow on it, <laughs> okay? How do we make it look nice and, and pretty? Well, there's a truth that governs all the truth of the Bible, okay? It's like uh, if you're familiar with uh, presuppositional apologetics, like here's the Here's the governing thought of all thoughts, right? Let me give you the overarching truth of the Bible. And it's real simple here, friends. It's the gospel. It's Christ. See, if you want to speak truth to your neighbor, you speak the Bible. But if you want to understand the Bible, you must speak Christ. Jesus is on every page and you've got to look for him like I love Luke 24 where Jesus is walking with people on the road of Emmaus and he says he took the law and the prophets and showed how it was all about him and see that's what we've got to be able to do even right here is that we've got to show that this was all about Jesus that the reason we put away falsehood and that we teach speak truth to our neighbor is because Jesus. He's the preeminent truth. He's the first truth of all truth. You don't understand Jesus, you won't understand truth. You won't even understand the Bible. If the Bible is just a bunch of lists of moral codes, I mean, I live in downtown Dayton. There are tons of homeless men who can quote more Bible verses than I can. They know the Bible. Satan knows the Bible. Do we see that in the temptation of Christ? Yes. But see, to get the Bible, you have to know Christ. You cannot understand God's truth without his greatest truth. He is the unifying truth of the scriptures. Look with me at the end of verse 25. For we are members of one another. Where do we get that from? The gospel. Christ. That's language that's used other places in the Bible to symbolize that we are one body. There's one head, Christ. And he helps us understand that we're either a foot or we're a hand or we're a finger or we're a kneecap. (laughs) Kneecaps never get any cred. Right? 
And we have to understand that we will only understand our part, our role in the body as this part of this gospel community if we get Christ. It solves our divergent problem, doesn't it? All the factions. See, we got some people in the body who are very courageous. And we got some people who are all about peace. And we got some people who are all about truth. And then we've got some people who are all about intelligence. That was another one. (laughs) And all these people come together with their different gifts under the umbrella and, and banner of Jesus. And Jesus says, you do your part, and you do your part, and you do your part, and we're going to build up my body. So I have two assignments for you outside of your one that I just said off the cuff, you know, which was go look up law of non-contradiction, right? Okay, so anyway, two assignments for you here, some action steps, all right? I want to give you some practical stuff to take home, okay? Let's, let's get at this. I want you to this week go home and reread Ephesians 1 through 4. And what I want you to do as you do this, okay, I know you, you, know, you don't have to spend a ton of time doing this. This should maybe take you 20 minutes if you're like a kind of, you know, just simple person, okay? If you're like one of these like really astute people, it maybe take you 45, okay? And then maybe you like weird people, it take two hours. Um, but reread Ephesians 1 through 4. And I want you to pick out every phrase on unity. Because I almost did this for you this week. But it was too many. Like, it would have taken me another, I would have been preaching a math sermon. It would take me another 30 minutes, you know. Okay? And I, I just didn't want to do that to you guys. I was like, no, I'm not going to list all these out for you. I'm not, you're going to do it. Okay? So go read Ephesians 1 through 4. And I want you to find all the unity verses. Okay? Go find all the verses on unity. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. There are a ton on unity in the body. Second thing I want you to do, second action item. It's kind of a layers of questions here, okay? Layers of questions. What's preventing you from speaking truth to your neighbor? Okay? What's preventing you from doing that? And you need to start working through that. Start thinking through it. Start meditating on it. Like, what's preventing me from speaking truth? Now, let me, let me go deeper with it. What did we define here? What is truth? It's speaking the Bible. So what's preventing you from speaking Bible to one another or to your neighbor? And if you want a safe place to do that, you start here in renovation. Okay? Because these are, these are Bible lovers. <laughs> These are people who love God's word. They love the truth of God. And so if you're afraid to speak truth to them here, I can't imagine what you're doing outside. So you want some practice, start doing it here in, in the body. Like speak truth. And if you're wondering sometimes why you, you say something to somebody and, and it's not really connecting with them, maybe it's because you're not speaking the Bible. Maybe it's just John's thoughts. And you've got to start speaking more biblical language. Doesn't mean you've got to be quoting Bible verses all the time, but you, be, you better be sure you've got something you can lean on and go back to and say, this is my biblical justification for my comment. Now, if you want to go even deeper, okay? Because we don't want to just, okay, what's preventing me from speaking truth? What's preventing me from speaking the Bible? And then if you really want to go deeper here, it's 
what's preventing me from speaking Christ? See, if the Bible is all about Christ, maybe that's another reason that even when you do speak the Bible, it's not dropping for people. Because you've got to connect it back to Jesus. And when you start to master that, when you start to, and look, I, I have not mastered that, <laughs> okay? But when you still really start to hone that skill and you get better at it, you start to see a lot more change in people. There's a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors out there that speak truth from God's word, but they don't ever get to Jesus. And people leave defeated and crushed. And they don't know what to do. And if you want people to have hope when they leave meetings with you, you've got to get them to Jesus. And if you're not doing this, okay, if you're not working through what's preventing me from speaking truth and what's preventing me from speaking the Bible, what's preventing me from speaking the gospel, speaking Christ, if you're not doing these three things, guess what you're, guess what you're doing? Putting on falsehood. Ouch. You are deceiving yourself and you're deceiving others. It's dangerous. I say this as one who is guilty. And the measure I'm giving to you, I want to be measured by. If we want to be people of the truth, that's speaking truth to our neighbor, whether that is outside of our covenant community, outside of our gospel community, or inside, we've got to be doing those things. Speaking the truth, speaking God's word, and speaking Christ regularly. Regularly. That should be like brushing your teeth every day. You should just get up and do it, and if you don't, you're... Your breath smells real bad. Okay? You got like coffee, your weird uncle breath. Okay? And some of you are tempted in this room to be that weird uncle with the weird coffee breath. And if you want to have nice, pleasing breath to people, you need to start speaking truth, speaking the Bible, speaking Christ regularly. That's got to be your every morning, putting it on, cleaning it up. That truth will come out. It will be pleasing and aroma to people, right? And we see that that's going to that's gonna come up here in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. You want people to experience grace? Help them experience Christ. This is what we've got to be striving toward. And if we're not, we're deceiving ourselves and we're deceiving others. We've got to start speaking unifying truth, and unifying truth comes around God's word, and it comes around the gospel. Is that what you want to do here, friends? I mean, am I the only one that that sounds really appealing to? <laughs> I want to hear Jesus regularly, like it's pleasing to my ears. It's not tickling my ears. I don't want to be a people pleaser. I want, to, I want people to speak hard truth to me. Like, John, you're not believing gospel. You're not believing Christ late, lately. You're not believing God's word. And I'm like, yes, you're right. I'm not living in reality. I've got to come into the real world. I want to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. 
This is what I want for you, friends. This is what I want for me. This is what I want for Matt. This is what I want for Rusty. Thankful for those brothers that they push me that way. You've got good elders who labor in that to sanctify you in truth. And God's word is truth. Jesus is truth. Let's be that kind of community, okay? Let's be that kind of community, all right? So Greg's and uh, Greg and Colin are going to make their way back up and they're going to continue to sanctify us in truth because many of the scripture uh, that, you know, has soaked so much into people over the years makes its way out into song even. Like when you listen to these songs, try to connect and say, where do I see that true in God's word? Where do I see that true in the gospel? Let it permeate in your soul. And that'll make you sometimes just, you know, like non-Baptist, you'll kind of like close your eyes, you start to raise your hands up a little bit, and then you'll be like worried, or people are like looking. And then you need to go back to truth and be like, I'm not worried about them because this is for an audience of one. I want to experience God today. Let's experience God together as we continue to go through this service, right? Don't you want to leave here experiencing God? Let's do that. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for these wonderful saints here. So many of them are just so faithful to pay attention and to listen to your word, and they want to know your word better. And so I pray that I was faithful in presenting your word to them. I don't want to get up here and mislead or deceive them. And so if there was anything that I said that was misleading or deceiving, just burn it out of their ears, burn it out of their mind, burn it out of their soul. But if there's anything that you used me today as an instrument of grace to speak grace to those who hear, help it to stay and stick with them. And I pray more importantly that if anything, that I pointed them to your word, to your gospel, And that's what they would leave here with, with a renewed affection for your word and for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.